Action Bronson, and now I'm gonna tell you what I eat every day. Action Bronson, running around, sounding like me. I weighed in around 375 pounds. Now about a, you know, 130 pound loss. It's like I didn't even have that weight. I was never supposed to have that. I gave you a grace period. I post destroyed you a long time ago. I've been a big boy my whole life, and it got out of control at some point. My entire career, you know, was based upon living a fast, hard life. And I got myself together, and here we are in December, and some 249 pounds this morning. Who gives you the right to even mention my name? My day starts really early. My day starts around 4.30 in the morning. Bro, you done made a mistake, boy. Sometimes I have some eggs in the morning. I'm too nasty for you. I like a soft scramble. As long as it's not browned, scrambled, that's fucking nauseating. That's just not what it's supposed to be done. This is why you look up to me and sound like me. Every single morning I start my day off with a shake. And I have to make two portions because it's after the workout shake also. Both have protein, both have fruit, both have olive oil, both have almonds, almond milk. All these little tricks, you know, to work on the brain and the heart, to keep everything moving and grooving and flowing the right way. You know, we're working real hard in the gym. You gotta make sure that we put that back in so we get the performance we want. I don't want nobody sound like me on no album. Then I hit the gym right after that. I get my work in. Everything I do, I'm making a movement. I'm fucking squeezing the muscle. When I lift up my son, I'm trying to work out. And then I have the rest of the shake after the workout just to replenish myself. But let me tell you something. Your fans, those are my fans first. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not making this a black or white thing. I'm making this a ghost action Bronson, man. You know what I mean? I get home. I try to eat immediately. Egg whites, five to ten of them. Chicken, lots of broccoli. Organic, gorgeous little broccoli florets defrost it in the hot water a little bit, throw it into the hot pan with the olive oil and garlic. Beautiful. The microphone is in your face. You know what I mean? You have to learn how to watch what you say. I guess you've never been taught that. And I make another shake and have that throughout the day. 
You know, I like to get roasted nuts and then put them with some honey and some spices, maybe some cayenne pepper, some cinnamon, just to keep things interesting. You walk around the club with no shoes on, big ass beard that one day I might set that shit on fire. Just from saying my name, baby, let me tell you something, man. I, you know, it's so hard to tell you what I eat because it varies every day. It's so day to day, man. My mother-in-law might be there. She's making sopita. You can't say no to that, but it's healthy. You can never play with me, man. I was raised on soup. You raise children on bone broth. You know what I mean? You, it gives them strength and power. Soup. You're boiling out all this goodness, all the soul, and you're putting it back into your soul. I gave you a grace period. Dinner time, I like to keep it light. I like to keep it low carb dinner time. I'm usually having grilled chicken. Grilled chicken and broccoli. Try and keep yourself feeling slim and trim in the morning. When you hit that scale, you're nice and light. When you wake up, you could see abs almost. Showing up sounding just like me. I haven't had a good pasta in months, man. Like, I love pasta. Pizza. The only reason I'm having pizza is because the dough is fermented. So it's already started digesting for me. It's a healthier dough. I'm not having too much cheese. The cheese is cut out. It's straight up tomatoes. Come on, man. I never disrespected you, bro. I just thought that God gave you the same tone. Now let's talk about dessert. There is no healthy desserts, really. It's just fruit. Growing up with Albanians in an Albanian family, dessert of choice is a watermelon. Unless it was a really special day and you would have baklavas, which why, you know, they call me baklava. Because I'm not special, you have me once a year, and I'm coveted. I'm too nasty for you. It's just hard to have dessert. You become unconscious when you're eating that stuff. You can't gauge the size and what the impact has. Like the smallest thing could be the worst thing in the world. But it's just all, man, it's so good. I found lots of raw cacao and almond butter desserts, things like that. So that's really where I look to. Natural stuff, non-processed and just straight up raw things. I'm too nasty for you. It was my birthday the other day and I didn't even touch the cake. I looked at it, I know what that cake tastes like. I've had that cake almost every year. But I have willpower now. I'm trying to do good, I'm trying to keep my best foot forward here. I'm really liking this thing. Listen, the first move is to move. You gotta get up and move that ass. Even if you're going and you're taking a walk, be consistent and you'll eventually get there. This is your boy, Baklava. This is how I eat, I love you. But let me tell you something, your fans, those are my things first. Almond milk. Just to keep things interesting. But it's healthy. It's just hard to have dessert. But I have willpower now. I'm really liking this thing. You raise children on bone growth, you know what I mean? When I lift up my son, I'm trying to work out.
I'm having pizzas because the dough is fermented, so it's already started digesting for me. Your internet radio dial is in the perfect position, and Race to the Bottom is on the air. Time to sit back and enjoy some refreshing Winslow tea. Try it hot, lukewarm, or over ice. Have it with milk and sugar, or a lemon wedge, or oh natural. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Now that's Winslow tea. A New York City tradition since 1872. Ask for it by name at the tea house or your local greengrocer. Because that's how you know it's Winslow. John Reed, you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. This is Race to the Bottom New Year's. It's a new year. I got a new change of gear, I swear. Who said that? The late, great Wyclef Sean, R.I.P. In the background, <laughs> we're hearing Loop Vamp by Lori Anderson. Not L- Louie Anderson, the hefty comedian who came into prominence in the 1980s and then resurfaced on that Zach Galifianakis show, Baskets. Anyway, it's not Louie Anderson, it's Lori Anderson, who was married to Lou Reed. She was the conceptual artist. Still is, I think, right? She's alive. Oh, oh, she's still alive, yeah. Eddie Vedder really kind of tricked us, right? We thought Eddie Vedder was this guy who couldn't stand spotlight he was angry about everything he thought the world was phony 
All he really wanted to do was wear Chicago team sports jerseys and go to sporting events and play ukulele. He mellowed that one. Make sure Lori Anderson's alive. Yes, she is. She's 73. But this is her thing. I don't, I don't know exactly how she's doing this. It's like synth strings, but it's like microtonal. Anyway, I, I heard this on while I was watching Before Night Falls, which I've talked about before, after reading the book. And I got some more stuff to do about Cuba. Just you wait this year. I talked to my buddy John Elliston, who's a journalist who knows about Cuba and has been there multiple times. I'm going to talk to him one of these days in 2021. And I'm going to talk to my friend Eliza, who I haven't talked to in years. But we went to Cuba together. And I want to try to recreate that trip through our our memories, see if I can get in touch with her and do that. She would deign to be on the program. But yeah, I looked for this song... I looked on the soundtrack, couldn't find it, scoured the internet, all these websites, because it's not on like the main soundtrack, you know, it's just incidental music, it's not really credited. So I, I poured over the web, and then finally located it, after about a half an hour of searching. I was so proud of myself. And there's something great about finding things that aren't on the net, right? Or even, or even if they're hard to find. So little of, of life is that way, right? It's, it's just all at our fingertips now, so it's less special. I think that's why people like myself are getting back into vinyl and trying to read books, actual books, with paper and pages. And uh, on vinyl, I've been... You know, there's some stuff that I've, music that I've found that for some reason, I guess, licensing stuff, it disappears from Spotify, disappears from my playlist. Like it's still there, but it's unclickable. It's gone. And one of those was this Chico Hamilton trio record that I loved and I got it on vinyl and I was, felt so cool, right? Or um, I talked last year about De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising, which is kind of unavailable on the internet. I got the vinyl from HUE. Shout out to HUE. Happy New Year, good sir. And there's this um, Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live sketch that I always thought was hilarious where Kevin Arnold, Fred, Frank Savage, Fred Savage was hosting and he, there were like... <laughs> these dads bragging about how imaginative their kids were. I might have talked about this, but who cares? They're bragging about how imaginative their kids are, and Phil Hartman is Fred Savage's dad, and he said, oh, he's the most, he's, he, make, he has the best imaginary friends. You, you wouldn't be able to believe it. And he, like, pressures his kid into being, like, a creative type. And he goes... <laughs> to like an imaginary friend um, competition and he's not into it Fred Savage the kid so he's kind of on the spot up on the stage and he, uh, you're supposed to introduce your imaginary friend he says uh, my imaginary friend is 
Mr. Mr. Podium. He's standing right behind a podium, and he's uh, really great, and he uh, helps you hold stuff. And I always thought that that was a really funny sketch. I always think about it whenever anybody has a podium, is talking with a podium or needs a podium <laughs> for a speech, which happens from time to time when you're in the education field. But you can't find that online. I, I searched, scoured high and low. So I got thinking about that, and I asked people on the internet, my friends, for what what are the things that you haven't been able to find on the internet? And our friend Kyle, always a good contributor to the show, our chef friend who we heard from last on the Thanksgiving prepisode, he also contributed to our March sadness last year with his... Um, T-boned pizza delivery story. Pizza comes to find you. But he said, this local commercial from Northwest Connecticut. It was an auto shop selling snow tires, and their tagline was, we get them on and poppin'. They must have said it at least 20 times in the ad. I thought I might have made this up in my head, but a fellow connecticut referenced it uh, to me unprov- um, unprovoked, unprompted a few years back. That's a great example. Can't find those, get it on and get it popping. Yeah, ads would probably be old TV. It's interesting. We were, my generation, talking about my generation, we were on the cusp of this. We saw what it was like. I remember in our house, we had a rotary phone when I was really little. And we also had a cable box that you would, had a a dial that would click and you would, spin it around we had like 30 channels on cable on through this black box take it from there all the way to where we are now we saw both sides and with that we saw we saw tv how it used to be where it was just it was on unless you taped it it was gone there's no youtube there's no archive of this stuff so yeah ads for sure my buddy Eric from work said, Chappelle show skits because they won't pay him royalties for his own content. All right, that's a little political there. <laughs> the good MLB highlights because they have a stranglehold on all content. Maybe live minor league games online, okay. Old school video games, Contra, Sonic, The Hedgehog, Toe Jam, I don't know what that, Toe Jam and Earl? Yes, old video games for sure. I've always thought like making new versions of old things would be cool. Like make a really nice new version of a 80s station wagon with today's technology, but have it be, you know, make a modern Fisher-Price record player. Just make it a little better. Make a new uh, Nintendo that you didn't have to blow on the cartridges. Then I got some people who said, that's a really great question. I'll get back to you and and didn't get back to me. But you get the idea. Thinking about searching for things, uncovering, going to a record store. They was just play skinnies, records and tapes. I guess I was looking online. It looks like it's still there, but I think it's in a different location in Norfolk. I remember finding out about Discord records and Minor Threat and all this hardcore music. I guess you'd find out about some of that stuff on 
this show 120 minutes on MTV on the weekends. It's like two hours of alternative stuff. Watch like ministry videos. Well, we did find out about a lot of music through MTV, but then also just stuff like word of mouth. And you felt so cool to know about Discord. Bands like Jawbox sounds like this. Or the very weird shudder to think sounds like this. And now looking back, I mean, I don't know if I've gotten soft in my old age, but don't necessarily usually like stuff that, that that's that's that hard but it was great because you had to be in the know an exclusive club you'd find out about that kind of stuff at skinnies records and tapes right making me think about norfolk virginia where i grew up in the 80s i was trying to find like picture i was trying to find uh and things some on instagram like an instagram group that posted pictures of 80s and 90s Norfolk, thinking about this Chinese restaurant we would go to at Waterside, which was like, if you've been to Baltimore, the Baltimore Harbor, the same person designed it. I loved Waterside back in the day. There was these this flag shop where you could get flags from all the hundred and... How many countries are there? Can we decide that once and for all? I'm not going to Google it. But they had this Chinese restaurant and that waterside mall with a fish tank and you'd look out over the river Elizabeth River they had this spicy shredded beef and man that spicy shredded beef that that's like that's a Madeline moment as they say Proust right the master as Tom Sharpling would say I so those of you who know I my um, kind of Radio Heroes, this guy Tom Sharpling, who started the the best show on WFMU and now does it. But I've, you know what I'm doing in 2021? In addition to not promoting the show on Instagram or Facebook, if you like the show, tell somebody about it. We're going indie. (laughs) Um, I'm also going on a a long Tom Sharpling break because I feel like too many of his references and his cadence kind of invade my my thing. I gotta be my own person. But anyway, this how it was back then. It I without the internet, I think the internet has like changed our relationship to reality, to truth. I know I'm not the first person to say this, but you know, it's like it's like a everything's a simulation. Everything's like the inter- on the internet first, and, and that's its primacy. Insta, or it didn't happen, right? It's like the Matrix, man. But we had like uh, cassettes and VHS. You had to rewind. The movie or the song 
was located on a specific moment of the tape. And you and it existed in space and time physically. You had to rewind it. Rewinding tapes, man. For those of you, I don't know how many young listeners do I have. Everybody knows this, but remember putting a pencil in the in one of the cassette holes, and it would grab on it, and you could spin it around to rewind it. That would, those were the days. Making mixtapes, all this. It's and it's not just nostalgia. I, I'm interested in what it's done to our grasp on things. So, yeah, there's something so great about finding this Laurie Anderson song. I got all these endorphins because it's like, because it was omitted. Omission, right? Not the gluten-free beer, but the power of omission. And I guess, Laurie, this this song is, wasn't even an example because I found it. Right? It's the things that you can't find. The bands that only you know about. We used to talk about selling out, right? I liked that band before they sold out. Now that too many people like them. Which isn't really a thing so much anymore. Right? I think part of that is like this ch- this switch from hip-hop culture like taking over from rock and roll culture. And bear with me on this, because, you know, I love hip-hop. I play it all the time on the show, even though half my audience are, like, not, quote-unquote, into hip-hop. But I force force feed it. Here comes the plane, right? Like I'm force-feeding the peas and carrots baby food by playing some rock hymn. But I think when hip-hop knocked rock off the throne. Rock and roll was all about, in so many ways, throwing off the trappings of, of culture. Nobody wanted to seem like uh, rich. We all know knew that the Beatles or Bob Dylan or whatever, we knew they were well off, but they dressed like uh, hobos for the most part. Flaunting one's wealth was seen as gauche. But then hip-hop came along, and because probably... A lot of these people came from more uh, lower class, impoverished kind of situations. If you got it, you flaunt it and you fake it until you make it kind of thing. People were proud of what they had, rocking the, the chains, the nice sneakers, conspicuous consumption. You know, and I'm sure like a lot of that has to do with when you have institutionalized racism and redlining and things. People have talked about this. That's why you get the nice car and the nice clothes, because you don't have the wealth. You're shut out from the true wealth. So you take pride in in those surfacey things as like a small protest against institutionalized racism. But that that bling bling thing transferred not just from hip hop, but to all of our culture. And I guess it was happening, happening simultaneously in the 80s with omelet bar coming onto the scene and right lifestyles of the rich and famous greed is good but there was a shift I, f- I feel like it's somehow related of like celebrating wealth plus the internet where like we've lost a lot of historical context and like having to 
do some research is no longer a thing as much as it was going to the library, searching through the card catalog, all that kind of stuff. It's at your fingertips. And what do we lose with that? And maybe in a small way, that's kind of what I'm trying to do with not promoting my show this year. It's just here. It's here on the dial 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. on Saturdays and in the archive going up on Wednesday. Act like you know. So pat yourself on the back, dear listener, because you have found that Laurie Anderson song. You're listening to it right now. You're shopping the cramped aisles of Skinny's records and tapes, and I'm the cool guy behind the counter. I'm smoking a cigarette inside because it's 1995, but unlike that cool guy behind the counter doesn't seem to hardly notice that you're in the store, or maybe even wants you to leave, I'm glad you're here, guys. And I would like it if you told someone about this show. Because that's the only way this thing can grow, right? You like how I put it on you to be the ones to promote the show? But who cares if it doesn't grow, right? We're doing our thing here. I mean, I kind of care and I kind of don't. But I've spent so long trying to get people to engage in my art and music. But after a while, I think we all realize, us artists, that it's kind of (laughs) like... You're just browbeating your friends and family and co-workers, perhaps, to, like, listen or read your stuff. It's like Ron from work. Let's call him Ron. Did you know that there's a character in Harry Potter named Ron? I did not know. I'm not a Harry Potter aficionado. But one of my students did a presentation on Harry Potter. She said there's a guy in it named Ron, which I found hard to believe, but I guess it's true. Speaking of... Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling. There's an interesting article in The Cut called Who Did J.K. Rowling Become? about how J.K. Rowling has kind of become a trans-skeptic crusader and what that's all about. And I've talked about my feelings about that. I am I say more, more freedom the better. I disagree with J.K., LOL, but... This kind of this is a good article to kind of trace her thinking about this and who she is. I recommend it. It's a recommendation. But yeah, Ron from work might tune in once or twice to my show, but Ron's got his own things going on. And Ron wants to find his own Laurie Anderson song. Ron wants to make his own discovery. Right? Not spend Saturday morning listening to his co-worker's radio show. (sighs) Oh, that's good. Lukewarm Winslow T. Thank you, as always, to Winslow T. for sponsoring the radio program. And I got some feedback on this. People are loving the slurp. They said, talk to some family friends. They said, John, you gotta keep doing the slurp. And the slurp is good because it helps enhance the flavor hashtag your tea drinking experiences with hashtag how you know and then hashtag slurp to enhance and steep and slurp into the conversation why don't you so basically as artists we're like constantly looking for ways to convince strangers to look at our art right because we've we've got the 
If it's just your family and friends, it's not real, right? It's not real until you have strangers in the audience. And what do you need for that to happen? Well, if I knew the answer to that, I, I would be in a very different place. But I think you need a good story behind what you do. The story of who you are. Like a former British spy, right? Who now writes spy novels. John le Carre. Right? R.I.P. I listened to a good interview with John le Carre with Terry on Fresh Air. He's a fascinating guy. And I'm thinking that I should read one of his books. But I don't know. Is there one with uh, the word spy in the title? He really hit the spy thing on the nose with his book titles. The spy who came in from the cold. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. A perfect spy. The incongruous spy. Maybe I should become a spy. Been thinking about espionage. Listening to this podcast, Wind of Change, about the hypothesis that this guy gets that the Scorpion song, Wind of Change. Here, I'll play a minute of it. I follow the Moscow and down to Gorky Park, listening to the wind of change. He gets this journalist, Patrick Radden Keith, gets catches wind, if, pardon the pun, or don't pardon it, enjoy the pun. He finds out that maybe this, this song is was written by the CIA. It came out right before the uh, Berlin Wall fell, and it was like, potentially, like, psychological operation. And it's, this podcast is amazing. And I recommend it. And also, by the way, this song was the first song that I made out to. I was at a skating rink and I was like 12. And this girl, Jamie Rock, who was 14, we went roller skating with a group of friends. And at the end of the night, she she kissed me. And my mom saw it from across the skating rink. And I got in the car and... She's, she said, she's too old for you. You can't see her. She, it's like she was attacking you. <laughs> and I, re- I rebelled. I said, no, I like her. But then it didn't really matter because she never called me back. Crisis averted. Cuban Missile Crisis. Also a lot of spying, obviously, in Cuba. that John Elliston recommended me a book on some of the spying. And then you got this Russian hacking thing. Or is it Russia? Ooh. I think it's all Russia. (laughs) That's my new counter-counter-intuitive, right? I've gone from Rachel Maddow to Glenn Greenwald and then back to Rachel. I'm I'm full on. It's all all Russia. It was all Trump and Russia. But you got to have a good, uh, good story, good elevator pitch. It's like Action Bronson, who we heard... In the mashup, I remember when I first heard old action, Bronson. I was making pizzas on Randall's Island at the Freeze Art Fair, fancy art fair. I just moved back to New York City, it was like 2013, and I was working at a Roberta's pop-up stand. Roberta's is like this 
kind of famous pizza place where like Madonna and Lou Reed, there's a, he probably, Laurie Anderson came with Lou Reed there. It's a connection. But I think the Clinton, Bill Clinton came there. I don't know how this place got so big, but it's, it's huge. It's in Bushwick, but they had these pop-up things. And I got to the city, and as you guys know, I'm no stranger to the pizza game. I needed a job, and I applied at Roberta's, and I told them in the, on the application that I bleed marinara, which I thought was good, and they did too. They said after they hired me, they loved that line, and so they gave me a call. But you'd go to these, I'd work these pizza pop-up things, work all day, no, no real break, from like 11 to like 8, just topping pizzas as fast as you could. I later learned that half of the guys I was working on with were on like massive amounts of cocaine. That's why it felt so hard to keep up with them. But I was in New York, and I was excited to be there. I didn't, I didn't care. I had a job. They were playing cool music, or it felt cool. Stuff I didn't even think was that cool, it felt cool. They were playing Rick Ross, and I was like, maybe Rick Ross actually is cool. And then they played something that I thought was Ghostface Killer from Wu-Tang, but no, it was Action Bronson. I said, who's Action Bronson? And the guy next to me said, oh, he's this super fat Albanian dude from Queens. He's like a world-class chef turned rapper. A super fat Albanian dude from Queens who's like a world-class chef turned rapper. I'm hooked, right? What a story. And we included a little of Action Bronson in the mashup. He's getting skinny now. And I've talked about this before. Former uh, overweight celebrities getting skinny. And then we, uh, I interspersed that with this uh, clip from Ghostface Killa, who... Um, I'm a big fan of. I think I've talked about this on the show before, how people say that, and like in my story, people say this rapper Action Bronson sounds like exactly like Ghostface Killa. But Action Bronson is now big, and he's a personality. He's got shows on Vice, shows like uh, F, That's Delicious. And he was even in The Irishman, the um, Scorsese movie played The Undertaker. But now Action Bronson is getting in shape. That was a little clip from him on men's health, which I thought was ridiculous. And I'm not on board with him getting in shape because that was a huge part of his his story. What made people uh, tune in to his stuff. He can't get rid of that. (laughs) That's the price he has to pay. He's got to live that story, right? But it's also... In this case, Action Bronson, it's like another way to market a white dude who's usurping black people's art. Ghostface and Wu-Tang was too crazy. Wu-Tang was such an anomaly anyway. Nine dudes from Staten Island rapping these like crazy, complex rhymes about everything under the sun. Nation of Islam stuff mixed with like word association, pop culture references. They're the best. Shout out to Wu-Tang Clan. Another example of white people kind of dipping into black music is the story of the Bee Gees. I just watched the documentary on HBO. Recommend that. It's a recommendation. Recommendation. It's crazy. I didn't know that much about the, the Bee Gees. The Bee Gees. 
they started out sounding like the Beatles, and they and then they got like huge, huge. But they had all this brotherly conflict. Three brothers. Couldn't imagine being in a band with my brother. Band of brothers, right? We'll get to that. But they were huge, and then they weren't. They were like playing like dive bars again. And then they reinvented themselves, and they were reborn through like disco and and their falsetto singing. And the documentary does a great job of kind of tracing the rise of disco and then this backlash, the whole disco sucks movement. There was this DJ who got people in, I think it was a Pirates Three Rivers Stadium, was it? Got all these people to come and bring disco records and he blowed them up. It's like a double header. He blew them up after the first game and there was this huge riot. But they kind of show that a lot of the disco backlash was like an actually like an anti-black anti-gay movement because all these kind of flamboyant artists and people were gaining acceptance these meat eaters didn't you know feel comfortable with that they wanted their rock and roll their Jay Giles band right but you know at least the Bee Gees spoke honestly about their influences they were good about that and then they, and so after, um, after they hit another period where nobody wanted them, after disco crashed, then they just, this is fat, they wrote songs for other people. We hear, we heard some Bee Gees in the mashup. We heard one of my jams, Inside Out. And then we heard, I did not know this, and this was our, um, one of our wedding songs, one of our first dance, my wife and I, Islands in the Stream. They wrote that, and we heard a moment from Barry Gibbs' demo of that song. And in the mashup, we also heard from the documentary, there was a little clip of the average white band song, um, Schoolboy Crush, which is so funky. Just that opening beat of that. I don't love the whole song. I just love the groove at the beginning. We heard Tom Cruise screaming at his people on the movie set about breaking COVID protocol. And I'm not a huge Tom Cruise fan, but I did enjoy that. I wanna I think we need more catharsis about screaming at people who are breaking COVID protocol. I wanna bring some of that Tom Cruise energy into to my school next when we get back after break. Start screaming at my coworkers. I saw something about that they're actually gonna film part of this new Mission Impossible in space. And speaking of movie stars. And we talked, I said Band of Brothers. I've got another recommendation. recommendation. This podcast called Dead Eyes with this comedian from UCB, Connor Ratliff. And it's his quest to figure out why he was fired from the 2001 miniseries Band of Brothers, uh, which was a Tom Hanks joint, and Tom Hanks fired him, supposedly saying that he thought he had dead eyes, that Connor had dead eyes. And it's it's great. And um, it's about kind of how tough showbiz is, and it's also about memory, and how how we remember things is so contingent on how we want to remember them. Which reminds me, I'm reading, I know you can't believe it, another Nausgaard book. The third one. And it's about his childhood. For those who are new to this show, 
or don't care. Um, this guy Nelsgard has a series of books. It's like metafiction, writing about his own life. And this third one is about his childhood. But I like this passage. Check this out. He says, Memory is not a reliable quantity in life. And it isn't for the simple reason that memory doesn't prioritize the truth. It is never the demand for truth that determines whether memory recalls an action accurately or not. It is self-interest that does. Memory is pragmatic. It is sly and artful. But not in any hostile or malicious way. On the contrary, it does everything it can to keep its host satisfied. Something pushes a memory into the great void of oblivion. Something distorts it beyond recognition. Something misunderstands it totally. Something, and the something as good as nothing, recalls it with sharpness, clarity, and accuracy. That which is remembered accurately is never given to you to determine. So yeah, what do we remember and what don't we? It's guided by self-interest. I guess I agree with them. But then what do you do with these weird stray memories that you have? Why do you remember these strange things that don't have anything to do with self-interest or a narrative? And like I asked before, what is this shift online doing to our memories? You know? Something else that might be a mere memory now is snow days. We <laughs> It's another sacrifice to 2020. Bill de Blasio was bragging how snow days are a thing of the past because kids can just hop online from home when it's a snow day because we are all Zoom fluent now. <sighs> how sad. Snow days are the best, but at least you don't have to trudge to school in snow and your wet mask now, right? Have you guys experienced the wet mask? This might be a city thing again, because I think a lot of the country who that live in more suburban places where they have cars and stuff don't have to deal with this. But when you're walking everywhere and when it's cold, mask gets all wet because your nose runs it's disgusting. I went on a walk with my wife and her friend over the bridge to Greenpoint. I love Greenpoint. Shout out to Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Such a cool neighborhood. So many cool shops and bars and restaurants and stores and buildings. It's got character. But the bad thing about Greenpoint is it also makes it so clear how badly I want this pandemic to be over. Just go hang out. Go from place to place, get a drink, get a record, a book, some pizza. But anyway, we were walking home, and by this time, my mask was soaked. And it was like my third one. But we uh, ended up talking about different diets that people follow. Like, I'm on kind of a no-carb thing, trying to get into shape. But we, well, we, I have a bunch of friends who are kind of seekers, and they often seek things through food. Like, there's this idea that, have you guys heard this, that, like, olive oil and vegetable oil are actually toxic because something your body can't process the <laughs> chain of molecules or something? So 
these people say like coconut oil is better, like full fat stuff is better for you. And then other people say those people are nuts. Coconut oil is bad. Who knows? I don't think it has to be so complicated. But when you have like people who want to have a breakthrough, a new understanding, they'll use food a lot. But I think part of it is that there's no breakthrough. Like they, people want to find the key, the hidden secret, right? But I would propose to you, as we wind up the show, that the secret to life is that there is no secret. How about that? I was watching The Vow on HBO about the cult, Keith Ranieri, Nexium cult. And as they're trying to, some people start splintering away from the cult and want to take it down to save the people inside. They can't get it to happen. They go to the law enforcement and they're hesitant to do anything. So they say, we got to use the press to get attention to this. And then maybe the law enforcement will follow suit. They track down this New York Times reporter and he kind of takes the case. And it is true. It's a, One interesting thing about the show is that it shows how so much of this stuff is like with the law and who gets punished really does depend on this intersection between the media and law enforcement, which I guess The Wire did, but this also does it. But anyway, this New York Times guy, he says, uh, he's, they're talking to him and he says, I, I don't think these cults would work on me. Nothing like this would work on me. I'm, he says, I'm irredeemable. Nothing's going to fix me, which was a funny beat of the documentary, but I think it's also kind of true. It's like in life, there's periods of sadness, a little bit of contentment, then lots of vague disappointment, flashes of joy. You just got to be yourself, right? And for that, I'm not going to apologize. But I do need to apologize for something else. That's going to happen in a segment of the show I like to call Excusez-moi. I'm going to teach you how to say excuse me in French. That means I am sorry. Excusez-moi. Excuse-moi. Pardon. Pardonnez-moi. Je suis désolé. So this is a long time coming. We did the all sports draft in, um, was it in November? Is that how long this apology is coming? And I I. It was great. It was it was in the top ten moments of the year. We had Brian Demena, who hosts Giants Among Men on this here radio station. He drafted uh, Phil Sims, the 1990s Knicks, and Eli Manning. My brother-in-law, Martin Way, drafted Tiger Woods, the 2003 Cubs, and Derek Rose. Tom Chalmers chose the wacky Detroit Tigers pitcher from the 70s, Mark Fidrich, Mark the Bird Fidrich, 1980 Olympic U.S. hockey team, and the San Diego Chicken. And by the way, I was supposed to, the apology here is I was supposed to say who won. People voted, and I I haven't announced the winner, and the winner's this next guy. Scott Bunn, also from, he hosts, co-hosts, Steve Sachs Syndrome, Indie Sports Radio on Asheville FM with Tom Chalmers. He chose Bo Jackson, 1950s New York baseball in defunct alternative leagues, and he got multiple votes. 
Scott Bunn, you you win. Please come to <laughs> our Bushwick Studios for your trophy. If you can get here, you get it. I'm I'm not there. Ask ask somebody. Ask the security guard. He'll find it for you. But seriously, thank you uh, to the all sports draft people and congratulations to Scott Bunn. So I've wanted <laughs> to see if I could do that a full hour of monologue as as always sponsored by Winslow T oh that's still just so good hashtag your tea drinking experiences with what was it slurp to enhance and show your support also show your support of the show by going to cityrunningtours.com slash new york city you can run and, and learn the history of, of neighborhoods and, and four of the five boroughs, the good four. You know which one's not in there. Thanks to City Running Tours for the support. If you're listening to this on your computer, you can download the app for Android or iPhone. If you want to keep up with what's going on at the station, you can sign up for our newsletter, Radio freebrooklyn.org slash newsletter and while you're there consider dropping by and slapping down a few buckaroos to keep us on the air I was happy to clear the air about the sports draft winner I apologize again about that and let's continue to clear the air with some music thanks for listening to the show again if you like what you hear hear what you like that's what uh, Kent Corrin says it's a pretty good line Tell somebody about the show. Each one, teach one. Let's close it out with Aretha Franklin. This also, the clip of this song was in the Bee Gees documentary and it sounded so good. Aretha Franklin, daydreaming. Happy New Year, guys. Show's gonna keep getting weirder and weirder, I promise you. And I hope you think that's a good thing, because I do. Talk to you next week. Peace.
Support for Race to the Bottom comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, the Hewing Marion Kaufman Foundation, the Melville Charitable Trust, the Moby Dick Charitable Trust, the Charitable Trust for people who have read Moby Dick, the Charitable Trust for people who say they have read Moby Dick, the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the Carnegie Corporation of Alabama, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, the Alfred E. Newman Foundation, the Mad Magazine Foundation, the Cracked Magazine Foundation, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, the Easy E Foundation, the Geraldine R. Dodge Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the Chevy Foundation, the Bob Seeger Foundation, the Boss Skaggs Foundation, the My Uncle Said My Music Sounds Like Boss Skaggs Foundation, the Who Is Boss Skaggs Foundation, the Joyce Foundation, the Noise Foundation, the People Who Say Nice Like Noise Foundation, Joan Crock, the That's a Crock Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Stanley Foundation, the Angela Foundation, the Oscar Foundation, the Creed Foundation, the Phyllis Foundation, AARP, Alaska Airlines, American Society of Clinical Oncology, American Society of Non-Clinical Oncology, American Society of Partially Clinical Oncology, Charles Schwab, the ConocoPhillips Company, the Wilson Phillips Company, First Look Studios Home Entertainment, Blockbuster Video, Miramax Films, the National Association of Professional Organizers, the National Association of Semi-Professional Disruptors, the American Speech, Language, and Hearing Association, the American SDFU Association, Anheuser-Busch Companies, Dow Chemical Company, T. Rowe Price, Corn Rowe Price, General Motors Corporation, Specific Motors Corporation, National Association of Realtors, Johnson Controls, and the Carey Group. Love.